Get ready, loosen those vocals up, Tubbs. Here it comes. An Australia without rugby league is not Australia. There's McCabe Diva, a nation worse for a hero. Freeman's got work to do here. Watch out for Kewell. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Crowd Catch. We're stoked you're here and we have a massive episode planned for you today. Waiting in the wings, we've got an Australian boomer, one of our very own Olympians, joining the podcast for a chat. Uh, There's plenty to discuss with a lot happening over the past couple of weeks. We had the bye last week, so we we, we sat on the sidelines, took it all in and we're ready. We've got a massive podcast, but first... Let me introduce my co-host, Jack Howard, Zachary Gates. Boys, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, mate. How about yourself? Hey, fantastic. I'm, I'm over the moon after after uh, the Blues getting up. I'm still riding that high for the series. Yeah, Jimmy, uh, the Raiders really turned it around the last two weeks as well, mate. Two wins, looking the goods. And your super coach team's going pretty well too, mate. Oh, how could I forget? Of course. We, uh, my, myself and Jack faced off in the Clash of the Titans in our Supercoach League. And unfortunately for Jack, he now owes me a pair of Birkingstocks, which, which I'm stoked about. <laughs> yeah, look, it's really hurt having to uh, mail my Birks to you, mate. And people may be listening and thinking, that's quite a strange bet. But um, <laughs> it, it really hurt too. But yeah, look, a lot has gone on. I actually made a little bit of a list, Jimmy. Um, Italy won the Euros in a shootout, beating England, which was both of our uh, short things, unfortunately. Messi won his first international trophy with Argentina in the Copa America. As you mentioned, Queensland won game three in the state of origin. Australia's Ben O'Connor finished fourth in the Tour de France, and Ash Barty won Wimbledon. But more importantly, fellas, by the time we go to air tonight and people are listening, the Olympics will have started with the softball as well. So, Really exciting times, and uh, it sucks everyone's in lockdown. But I tell you what, the sporting gods are looking after you. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that. The NRL, the AFL, um, of course, the Aussies are in the West Indies. They're not doing too well, but um, you know, it's it's cricket to watch. The F1, Wimbledon, there's been plenty on. Plenty to dive into, boys. What caught your eyes? I'll go first, and for me. Both Wimbledon champions backing up for Tokyo. I think that's huge. Firstly, for Australia, obviously, Ash's inclusion brings another great gold medal prospect for the Aussies. But the big one for me is Novak's inclusion. And what that does is it opens up the Golden Slam. Now, I've heard a lot about the Grand Slam. And the Grand Slam is achieved if a player wins all four tennis majors in the same calendar year. The Golden Slam, of course, is the four plus the gold medal. Now, to tell you how rare this feat would be, the last male to, to win just the Grand Slam was Stefan Edberg in 1983. And the last female to do it was Steffi Graf in 88. That 88 win by Steffi Graf was the Golden Slam. She's the only person to ever do it. No male has achieved the feat. And Novak's inclusion in the Olympics, I tell you what, is now a great chance for that. So that's huge for me. It is huge. Yeah, of course, now after winning the Australian Open, uh, Roland Garros and Wimbledon, he's now just got to win gold at Tokyo and win the US Open. Um, So, yeah, it's... You'd have to back him from here. He's, he's you know, Fedra appears to have fallen off. Um, Nadal is towards the back end of his career and he's the king of clay. He's a lot stronger at clay, on clay than anywhere else. And um, yeah, Djokovic seems to have the edge on Berrettini and, um, and Medvedev and whatnot. So he's a class above. But boys, what caught my eye? Well, um, I've, I've dropped some classic F1 fodder. Formula One fodder on uh, a number of occasions this during this uh, series, and I can't I can't now um, fail to do so on this episode because we've had the biggest 
uh, incident of the season so far, easily. The biggest incident in quite some time with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton crashing. Some think uh, that it was a racing incident. Some think that Lewis Hamilton was at fault uh, when they basically, when the front left of uh, Lewis Hamilton's car collected the right rear of Max, uh, Max Verstappen's car on turn nine of the first lap at uh, the Silverstone Grand Prix. They, some people thought it was Lewis Hamilton's fault. It's divided opinion. It's polarised opinion. Not Max Verstappen out of the race. Um, then, Mac, then Lewis Hamilton, despite copping a 10-second penalty, uh, went back to uh, eventually fought back to take the win in Silverstone, um, beating Charles Leclerc of Ferrari in the end. And now, all of a sudden, the world, the world title battle is up for grabs again. It's been reinvigorated. Um, Lewis Hamilton is only eight points behind, eight points behind Max Verstappen. Um, huge moment. So people are saying he did it deliberately. <clears throat> not deliberately. They're not saying that. What they're saying is that it was, it was desperate of him and it was irresponsible of him uh, to try to overtake where he did. It also calls, I believe, that 10-second penalty wasn't enough, Gatesy. I doubt we've heard the end of this, especially uh, every time we now talk about Lewis Hamilton's chances of winning, I'm, I'm sure we'll have almost like a little asterisk above it where people bring this incident back up. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the sad things that's come out of it is that um, I guess such is the world we live in that it was always going to happen, but Lewis Hamilton has been racially abused on social media. There's now this general consensus that he's universally hated every, everywhere outside of Great Britain. He's, he's adored in Great Britain. They absolutely love him there. Um, but he's, he's, um, he's got quite a few enemies um, after Silverstone. It can also be the mark of a champion. Uh, we look at the Melbourne Storm, hated in the NRL, and they're only hated because they win all the time. So I think it can sometimes be a mark of a champion when uh, the general consensus is people don't want you to win. Uh, it can sometimes not be as personal, more the fact that they are sick of it. So, um, yeah, hopefully Max Verstappen can hold on to that lead, though. I normally fall asleep when Gates talks about F1, but at least that one sounds a little interesting, a little story to follow. But um, moving right along, my what caught my eye this week, uh, the Boomers beating the USA in their Olympic warm-up match, an exhibition match. Um, the Boomers won 91-83. to 83. It was a brilliant performance from the Boomers, really uh, putting it to the USA, which is a star-studded team. Paddy Mills, Joe Ingalls led the charge for the Boomers. Um, and they went on an 11-1 to 1 winning streak at the end to um, take home the chocolates. But one man who stood out, one man who was brilliant for the Boomers, played 25 minutes, got eight points, nine rebounds. That man is Nick Kay, and that man is just around the corner. Really excited to welcome onto the crowd catch two-time NBL champion and just about to make his Olympic debut for the Australian Boomers, Nick Kay. Nick, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, mate, an awesome build-up coming into the Olympics, but before we get into the team and how they're looking for yourself, uh, Olympic debut, you must be excited. I mean, yeah, dream come true, really. So, um, growing up, representing your country's like, means the most to you and be able to go out there and actually do that on the Olympic stage after watching every Olympics I can remember. So um, being able to go out there and actually be one of those athletes now, can't wait. And it uh, means a lot for myself and family too. And you were saying that you guys are just about to fly out to Tokyo, but I guess the Olympic campaign's already started in one sense. You guys have been set up in America and playing some good basketball. How's the feelings in camp? Yeah, feeling's really good. Um, we've been fortunate enough to be over in the States for almost a month now we've uh, started in LA where we had a pre-camp and then we came to Vegas where we got to play some games and now to head over to Japan um, to put it all together we're just excited to get over there and compete for that gold because that's what we're after we're going in there doing our best so we can win that uh, gold medal for Australia. What's the feeling like in Boomers camp mate I'm sure you've been in a lot of different teams from you know NBL everything else but what's it like 
training it for the boomers getting ready for the Olympics? Is it a bit of a different feel? It is. Um, the core group here does an unbelievable job. Uh, guys like Paddy, Deli, Joe, uh, Bainsey, they, they turn what is just a normal camp into basically like we're in Australia. We've got um, signs all around the place. There's just that real Aussie vibe around and um, it's just so positive. They've done an unreal job of building a culture here that's um, contagious and everyone gets around it and feels so, so home. So feels like they are at home. So um, really fortunate. And I think that's going to really uh, help us uh, perform the best we can when we get over there. Nick, there's already been a couple of special moments in your camp. Uh, firstly, Paddy Mills being announced live that he'd be one of the Australian flag bearers. Uh, how special was that for Paddy? And, and I guess, for the team to watch one of your leaders get that, uh, I guess, honour. Yeah, it was huge. Um, finding out how he was going to get it just, just warmed everyone's hearts. The stuff he does, not only on the court, but off it with all his community work, um, he's so deserving of it that uh, we're just so proud of him and um, we're lucky to have him um, as one of our leaders and for him to you know, lead us, but the whole Australian um, committee. So very excited. And, mate, before we probably turn our attention to what's to come in Tokyo, we've got to ask, beating the States the other day, beating America in America, uh, what that feel like? Uh, unreal. I mean, they're obviously the most talented team out there. The amount of NBA stars they've got there, it's you look at their roster and there's not a weak link out there. So for us to go out there and compete as a team, play as a team for 40 minutes, um, it was it's awesome. It's fun to be a part of that kind of environment and to go out there and not only do it on home soil like the last time but then do it over here uh, just took it to another level so great confidence booster but as, as we said a long way to go if we want to um, get that gold when it comes to Tokyo mm. Yeah the Boomers are obviously in red hot form Nick, um, just how bullish are you how confident are you heading into the Tokyo games as a team? I mean it's got to walk that fine line don't you, you've got to be confident heading in knowing that you can win all the games but you can't let complacency slip in and um, I guess being in the situation where we've lost a couple of big games in the past few years, um, when when medals are on the line, it's it's definitely not something that we're going to let slip in. We want we want to win that medal. We want to go there and be the best team in the world. And um, we're just we're so excited to get over there and actually be able to play. It's been a long time coming, and um, we've got a great chance and a great opportunity ahead of us. I guess one of the big things Australia has in their corner is the, the core group has been together for a while. They've got great chemistry is that something you feel out in the court something that's a real advantage for us yeah absolutely they're unbelievable i don't think it'd be tough for anyone to have such a good core group as we've got the way they're so dedicated to um, australia and the boomers culture um it's definitely an advantage for us and um they really drive everyone to be better every day um we've come a long way just even in this campaign because of um having that core group there what about the Olympic experience, Nick? Um, it's going to be completely different to anything we've seen before um, with COVID around. And, you know, we're hearing so many stories coming out, but he's still excited to get in that village and be a part of it all. Yeah, we can't wait. Um, obviously, a lot, of stuff, a lot of differences this time compared to other ones, but I guess that really highlights the fact you need to be close-knit as a group. And um, we've got that about our group. It's But um, we've really got to support each other, be our own fan club cheer each other on and create that environment and that positivity towards the games that uh, you'd normally get from a crowd but we have to be able to do that ourselves this time and are you, are you soaking in your last sleep in a bed before moving to these uh, highly talked about cardboard beds <laughs> I've seen pictures and stuff but um, I'm going to enjoy tonight's rest and um, I mean hopefully it's not too bad there but at the end of the day it's only for a few weeks and um, to represent Australia I guess I could be there on a sleeping bag on the floor and I'd still enjoy it, so. No, awesome. Uh, first game's Nigeria uh, and that's in about six days' time. Um, how important is it for you guys to get off to a promising start? Yeah, it's, it's massive for us. Um, in an Olympic format, every game is so vital that you can't afford a slip-up at, at any point and points for and against is huge. So uh, we played them a few few days ago had a, a comfortable win, but in anything like this, there's always a lot of chess being played and stuff. And 
we know they're going to come out and really fight, um, really put a good game together, and we're going to have to play our best basketball if we want to really beat them, but um, do it in a way where we're still getting better. It'd be massive for Australia to come away with a medal at the Olympics. You know, ball in Australia is just getting bigger and bigger every year. The NBL gets bigger and so many more names getting into the NBA. What do you think getting a medal at the Olympics would mean for basketball in Australia? I mean, it's going to be a huge stepping stone. Um, it's really going to put us from where we are to being that one of those top teams out there. And uh, we've done a great job of building that over the, over the past um, 10 to 20 years. But um, to take that next step, I think it'd be massive for the juniors in Australia. It's also huge for everyone who's represented Australia in men's basketball before. So they've put all the foundation and the legacy into it. And now we need to reward all their effort and their time and commitment. So um, it's going to be massive. We're, we're excited and we want to be that group that finally um, gets over that line. Nick, you are touching a little bit touched on a little bit in talking about the cardboard beds but um watching from afar in the u.s what have you made of the the really strict i guess um poops that everyone's been made to jump through in this um tricky time yeah it's been it's been tough um obviously in a normal environment you're able to walk around you're able to do pretty much anything you want um but right now we've pretty much been on hotel lockdown for the past two weeks only really heading out for trainings and games so even things like that um, has made it challenging. But at the same time, um, you find ways to hang out as a group. You try and do those extra little things together. And um, it also brings you closer together. And that chemistry is a huge thing, especially in environments like this. At the end of the day, Nick, it is an Olympics. Uh, you, you said that you've grown up watching them. Do you have an Olympic moment that stands out in your childhood or as a fan um, coming up to this stage? I feel like many Australians around my age um, it's always looks at that 2000 Olympics with Kathy Freeman. I mean, that's just that symbolic moment where um, I guess everyone in Australia was watching and it touched everyone. So that's been my moment. And um, I'm hoping that we can go out there, win gold and create that moment for a lot of upcoming athletes as well. Awesome. Well, mate, I'm sure whatever you do, you're going to make all of us here in Tamworth and uh, all of us here in Australia very proud. But we, we can't wait to watch you guys go and tear it up. And hopefully it's the start of a, a very good year for you in Tokyo. I really hope so, man. And I appreciate uh, reaching out to me. So um, appreciate it. Awesome, mate. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, we're wishing you all the best. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Guys. All the best. Boys, how good was that? An absolute honour to be joined by Nick Kay, not probably the biggest name in Australian basketball just yet. Uh, you know, probably second best to you, Paddy Mills and you, Joe Ingles, but a big campaign here by Nick and, and by all the boomers, if they can come home with a medal, I think he'll be a name enriched in Australian basketball and history. So really excited to have him join us on the podcast. We asked Nick what Olympic moment stands out to him more than ever. Um, boys, I'll throw the question to you guys. When do you think Olympics? When do you think the Olympic rings? What moment comes to mind? Well, of course, one of the, um, yeah, arguably the biggest moment in Australian Olympic history is Kathy Freeman winning 400 at Sydney. Unfortunately, um, I was, what, five then? Yeah, I, th I think I was five. So I actually don't have any memory of it. But for me, the ones that stand out are Steve Hooker winning gold in the pole vault in 2008. I remember that. That was huge. Mo Farah winning the 5 and 10K double uh, for Great Britain in uh, London in 2012 and Rio in 2016. Uh, Sally Pearson, I remember I got right around that. Sally Pearson winning the 110-metre hurdles in London in 2012, um, winning gold there. Just her, her reaction. Remember how she crossed the line? She pipped She pipped a rival and she didn't know that her she... reaction. Yeah, she didn't know she had won and she was, she was probably looking up at the... Um, up at the TV for 30 seconds or so. And then when she did, her life was just made and her reaction was incredible. I've got goosebumps you explaining that one, Gates. <laughs> yeah, look so they're the ones that stand out to me. What Pretty about big. you, fellas? Yeah, well, you, you, took, you took a couple of mine. There, there are some... Oh, sorry, mate, I did steal it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are some, you know, magic moments when you think about Australian Olympics. Um, Kathy's obviously the number one... Um, a lot of mine happened in the pool. Um, we've obviously, you know, swimming, something we don't think about too much for three and three and three quarters of 
every four years. But then when it comes around, all of Australia is obsessed with our swimmers. Um, all of a sudden, there are hundreds of experts, swimming <laughs> experts on Twitter. Yeah, I know. They come out of the woodworks and all, the, all of a sudden we're obsessed with swimming. But um, look, a, a lot has to be said for Ian Thorpe and um, the, uh, the guitar the guitar strumming celebration when we took down the USA and really stuck it to them. I think uh, Ian Thorpe comes to a lot and he's uh, 200 metre, 400 in the, in the Athens Olympics as well. Stephanie Rice comes to mind for her performances. Uh, she, was, she was a beauty. Um, there's so much. And then away from Australians, I mean, you think Usain Bolt's 100 metre running races. And look, there's, there's so many to name. But what, what about you, Jack? Yeah, look, um, if we look at it out of Australia, right, the fact that we've been fortunate enough to go through an era with both Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a blessing. And, and we could still be having the same argument at the end of our lives when we're all 80, drinking mid-strength middies, sitting on a bowling green, you know, because um, there's very, very much of a chance that we'll never see greater Olympians than those two again and arguing who was the best. So they were both brilliant. And for me, when, when Usain Bolt came onto the scene, breaking that world record with his arms out for the last five metres, uh, you know, that was just incredible. And, and the whole world really stood up and took notice of him then and there that he broke a world record and his arms were out for the last five metres thinking, wow, this guy is fast. Australia-wise, um, same boat. I don't remember the Sydney Olympics. I dare say my first ever favourite athlete in any sport would have been Thorpe in 04. I remember as a kid just screaming at the TV the whole time. But, yeah, for me, it was probably the girls in the pool. Um, then, you know, Libby Trickett, Liesl Jones, uh, Swipper, um, you know, from Athens into uh, 2008, you know, they, are, they were our golden girls. And, of course, Stephanie Rice's golden era in Beijing, taking out the three gold medals and uh, a beautiful smile to go with it. So, yeah, look, they're probably mine. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see what our next set of Olympians can deliver. I think the last one, actually, I would say is Enemir's comeback gold at Tokyo. Uh, sorry, at Japan. Um, no, at London was pretty incredible too. But, look, we've also thrown it out onto Facebook. Uh, Thomas Hall says that Vince Carter's dunk over a seven-foot-two Frederick Wees in Sydney 2000 was his moment. Maddie Hearn agrees with us. Hard to go past Kathy, but Steve Hooker in 08 is right up there. And thought bringing home the 4 by 100 metre relay in 2000. Uh, his little brothers jumped on. And um, Matthew Mitchum's perfect dive. That was a moment in 2008 we've all forgot about. And then Martin Richard. Uh, Mooker, who was on last week, he's got a different name on Facebook. But Kathy Freeman's 400 and Bolt's 100 and 200 metre double. So it sounds like we're pretty much on the mark there, fellas. Yeah, it was pretty unanimous. So a lot of lot of moments, and hopefully, uh, in a in a few weeks' time, we'll be talking about some more just as memorable, just as amazing, and um, talking about some gold medals. Yes, yeah, so Nick K will get a mention, hopefully. <laughs> All right, rolling straight on with our Olympic coverage. What's my sport? Really excited to play What's My Sport, our Olympic edition. And we'll also be opening this up to the fans on our social media over the next week and a half of competition. Uh, we'll be dropping some snippets most days. So keep an ear out and jump on and see if you'll be the first to correctly identify that sport. But fellas, for this round, who wants to kick us off? I'll kick us off since you gave me the opportunity. Um, radio boys, listening up. What's my sport? A, a solid run that he can do, but he's got to do it. That, that was good. Whoa. Kind of a fall, but not quite. Didn't lose any any speed or any of his rhythm. That's what he was going to do anyway. Pop out and drop out. Big spin front board to Fakey. I'll have a crack first, boys, and say triple jump. It's not triple jump. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's a bloody good crack, though, Zachary. Uh... Ron didn't lose any speed, didn't lose any of his rhythm. That's what he's got to do. Yeah, I'm trying to think what other Olympic sports, you know, would require a bit of running and maybe knocked off the mark a little bit. Um, Jimmy, I, I'm tipping you to maybe throw a curly in here and, and toe the line with the winter sports, so I'll say bobsled. <laughs> it's not bobsled. It's not a curly. 
Um, I'm not sure if there are some audio problems, but I thought you boys would get that. It's skateboarding. Oh, obviously one of the new sports brought in to the Olympics this year. Um, but yeah, I thought you know there was a few mentions of tricks, a bit of flow. You could hear the skateboard. Maybe there were some audio problems that listeners at home might have been able to get that. Do you rate yourself on the skateboard, Jimmy? I, I had a brief little skateboarder phase, but it, it didn't last very long. Skating down to the <laughs> local corner store to pick up a carton of milk for your parents? <laughs> pick up a Mars bar. <laughs> yeah. One in six Speaking wins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to roll the dice. All right, well, I'll roll the dice on this one, fellas. What's my sport? And Koo is delivering again. There's Valadol's first maximum. You'll need a lot more of those as this match progresses. Now, Koo can win this first set with another 10. And he's done so, but it's his best of the three. Oh, what an opening set to the gold medal match. I'll jump. I'll jump straight in with my guess. I'm fairly confident. Is it badminton? It's not badminton. Oh. I was actually watching a bit of badminton before I got onto this podcast, tossing up whether to go with that. I was going to chuck badminton into my trivia this week. I read something midweek that badminton is actually the fastest racket sport in the world. Really? The shuttlecock getting over 300 kilometres at times. Wow, okay. You wouldn't think that. It, it looks like it floats through there, but actually flies through there. You think squash or something? Yeah, I should have used the they... trivia. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> we're, we're, what's that sport, Zachary? Um, I'll have to have a crack um, and say equestrian. No, fellas. The perfect tens were hitting the middle of the bullseye in archery. So that was the gold medal match in Rio in the men's archery. Mm. Well, oh, you hit the bullseye there, mate. <laughs> All right, fellas. Now it's my turn. I'll round us out. What's my sport? Well, you picked it. The body language suggests that he was happy but not ecstatic. And that's the difference. 17.55. Oh, he would have been running up into the terraces with the American flag, singing the Star Spangled Banner, I think. This is more out of respect for the competition now. He knows he's got the gold medal. There wasn't, wasn't too many clues for the sport. No, I reckon I can narrow it straight down to track and field or swimming. No, track and field, I think it's something where he's waiting for his opponents to finish off. 17-something. I think 17 metres. I'm just taking a stab in the dark. There are a lot, a lot of potential things I could guess that I'll say pole vault. Yeah, I was thinking 17 metres is not bad. Crack there, Jimmy. It's not pole vault, Jack. Do you want to have a crack? I think 17. 17. Um, I think that shot put further than 17. Um, oh, hop, step and jump. Triple jump. You've got it. <laughs> I, ran, I ran a decoy before actually <laughs> I, for, for Jimmy's one I uh, had a stab and went with triple jump, ran a decoy it was uh, the men's triple jump final at the 2012 Olympic Games there you go, I'll take that one was it 17 metres or was that just a random stat that's thrown us off no, no 17 metres yeah that's <laughs> That's a mighty hop, a big step and a huge jump. <laughs> All righty. So we've been covering plenty of the Olympics, but it's time to get back on track to normal transmission and talk about some footy. And first up, we have AFL Gatesy's AFL segment, Fastball. Gatesy, are you ready? I'm ready for four minutes and 15 seconds, mate. <laughs> Rightio, Jack, you're the time, man. <laughs> I've just gone past his 15-second mark, so the four minutes starts now. <laughs> Should the pre-finals buy be brought forward to this week, Zachary? I think so. The Herald Sun uh, is reporting this week that um, multiple players have uh, come out and uh, 
uh, calling for the AFL to bring the pre-finals by forward uh, to this weekend, uh, just because the AFL is being hit so hard logistically, um, not only logistically, but in terms of um, in terms of numbers of troops available by COVID, it, it's it's getting absolutely rocked. Um, I mean, you only look at the Crows and Power situation. They were uh, earlier this week. They were due to fly out to Victoria, and then that was changed to Queensland. And then they were told on their way to airport to turn around and go home uh, because South Australia had just uh, announced a snap seven-day lockdown. And then a few hours later that night, they ended up flying to Victoria. Um, absolute mayhem. The Swans, they were missing three of their players, Callum Mills, Colin O'Reardon and uh, Harry Cunningham for the City Derby on the weekend uh, because they had all gone to the Wallabies test match and th- that was allowed. But after the test match, um, uh, Amy Park was categorised as a tier one exposure site. Toby Green wasn't um, able to play in the Sydney Derby. Uh, Matt DeBowell, Matt DeBowell wasn't. So, I mean, there, there are, and then you consider all the clubs that were in hubs, you know, the, the Swans and Giants have been away for a month now. They're, they've been in hubs in Victoria and Queensland. They're just, um, the AFL is getting rocked really hard by COVID at the moment. And what I've got to say is, the AFL um, used to great effect, I thought, the Festival of Footy last year. So, I mean, you might say, oh, no, I think you should continue ahead with the AFL this week uh, because you've got to keep banking games. Well, it is being rocked hard, the AFL, by COVID. And you can make up games, as the AFL showed last year, through the Festival of Footy. So, that's what I'd do. Take a break. Give clubs a chance to take a breath. Tell you what, Gates, it's also been rocked hard with injury. Their marquee man, Dusty Martin, has gone down with injury. Um, what do you make of Richmond's premiership chances now? I've put a line through them now just because of that. Um, that's the straw that broke the camel back. The camel's back for me. Dusty Martin is out for the season. Um, look, I, I, I think there's still a good chance, a solid chance that Richmond will make the top eight, finish either seventh or eighth. Um, they're on 32 points, equal with uh, Essendon and just one win behind West Coast, so they might make the eight, um, but I don't, I don't see them having the ammunition to go on and win three flags in a row uh, without Dusty Martin. Ever, ever since twenty, since twenty seventeen, Dusty Martin has been their game changer come September, and they're not going to have him. So um, I, it's it's obviously an enormous out and too big an out, I think, to make up. Was it the right move for Geelong to ask the AFL to play their game against Richmond this week at Geelong instead of the MCG? Well, Carolyn Wilson, um, she's come out this week on Footy Classified and and roasted uh, Geelong for asking that, and they've asked it plenty of times, plenty of times. Um, At the core of this is that um, the AFL is insistent on playing... um, on playing a lot of their big games, um, their big home games at the MCG, even though their home game is at their home venue is GMHBA Stadium or Cadenia Park. Um, Carolyn Wilson's view is that in in Chris Scott and Geelong coming out and asking the AFL this, they're they're sowing doubt into the into their players' minds. They're giving them an excuse. You know, if they end up playing at the MCG, um, which they often do, they say. You know, it, it leaves the players thinking, well, we've, we've got an excuse, we've gotten out. Um, but you, you got to remember that they're, they're just, they've got every right to say, Kadinia Park is our venue, we want to play here. And it's it's all about a big part of it is membership. Oh, it was a bit, bit slow there. <laughs> Didn't get up to your fourth question there, Zachary, but obviously a lot to divulge into about the pre finals bye week being brought forward, but. Good to hear, nonetheless. Yeah, no, I know I uh, soaked up a lot of the clock on that first one, but it's obviously a very topical uh, discussion at the moment. It most certainly is. Don't worry, because we're uh, keeping an eye on the clock because of our Olympics coverage, we'll also be putting the clock on for our NRL chat. Um, Jimmy's pulling out his contract, saying <laughs> it doesn't say this in the contract, fellas. But... Um, so, look, I'll hit the clock and I'll hit a question straight to you, Jimmy. Um, Parramatta, uh, it's been the question for the last three years. Can they win the premiership? Short answer, no. Long answer, possibly, but <laughs> doubtful. Um, 
I think, you know, Parramatta, they're sitting in a really good spot on the ladder at the moment. They're coming fourth. They've got a gap over the Roosters. You know, their team is clicking pretty well. And, you know, there's that famous stat, you can only win the comp if you come in the top four. So they're sitting well and they're poised well for a good finals run. Mitchell Moses is out this week, which is a bit of a loss for them. But, um, you know, all reports saying he shouldn't be out too long, which is good. They've just got Reed Mahoney back. Isaiah Papali's been, you know, probably the signing of the season. He's been phenomenal for Parramatta. And obviously, you know, they've got to contend with the big two in, uh, in the Storm and, and Penrith. But, you know, if they can get past them, their run home isn't too bad. Um, you know, they take on the Cowboys. They take on uh, the Roosters, which will be a big, important clash. But it's possible they could go deep, but I think they'll be doing really well to take out the Premiership this year. I agree, but I, I'm definitely not ruling them out. Look, you mentioned the fact that you've got to win. You've got to be in the top four to win the Premiership. Uh, I only half agree with that. I think you've got to get the week off to win the Premiership. And, of course, you can only be in the running for that if you're in the top four. Parramatta have the squad to play a great game of footy and beat Melbourne or Penrith. And they'd only really have to do it once, which would be that first uh, final, get the week off. And then, um, you know, they're, they're playing a team that's probably had a pretty tricky finals run and a lot of confidence. So although I don't see it happening, uh, I think they still have a team on paper to present a great 80 minutes of football, present an upset. And I think, you just mentioned that round, um, that run home. I think they'll definitely be playing their finals footy from the top four. So I, I think if I was a Parramatta fan, I wouldn't be too disheartened at this stage. And I think with the amount of criticism Moses cop plus 80 minutes of experience, he'll only come back bigger and better than ever. So, yeah, I'd still be pretty happy with how I'm faring if I'm a Parramatta fan. Mm. I, do, I don't have a lot of confidence in Parramatta. Obviously, the two top seeds are... Uh, Melbourne and Penrith. Uh, for me, um, you know, well, the three the three top seeds, you chuck in the Rabbitohs there, and then I'd say the biggest dark horse, the biggest smoky outside the top three would be Manly. I'd put Manly ahead of Parramatta. Um, of course, that's very uh, dependent on Tommy Trevojevic staying fit and staying on the park. But um, Parramatta, they, I, I mean, yeah, they're in the top four, but I think largely that's a reflection of how mediocre mediocre the competition is. Um, I mean, there's a there's a huge difference, isn't there, between the top, the top, you know, five or six teams and the rest of the comp. Um, I, I don't I don't see them um, being a great threat to a full strength Panther side with uh, with Luai and Cleary back or um, the Storm. No, not not even Storm at at um, at full strength. I mean. Yeah, they've been ravaged this year. They've had, they've uh, they've been without Harry Grant and Pappenhausen, and but they've just got this amazing uh, next man up mentality. And um, Parramatta, I don't have a lot of confidence in them. You got to you got to say for Parramatta's sake, like they're pretty on par with those top teams. The Storm and the Panthers have lost twice this year. And the Eels have lost four times, so they've only lost twice more than the Storm and the Panthers. Criticism is though, Jimmy. Who one of those, one of those games came against the Dragons, which they probably should have won. But it, 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 they still haven't delivered their best footy against a uh, premiership threat. Um, they only just got over the Roosters when the Roosters got hit with all sorts of injuries and the Victor Radley moments and and whatnot as well. So yeah, no, the it's Victor Radley moments came against the Broncos. Sorry, but a lot of injuries came in that Roosters game. I think that's when their half went off with a broken rib. So mm. it's interesting that there are reports of uh, the Eels looking to sign Anthony Milford immediately, just, just for the run home on a really short contract, um, a bit of X factor bench utility role, you know, someone who can produce a, a moment of magic and um, give a premiership contender a big kick in the finals. A yeah. bit of a safety move as well. I think a change of scene is exactly what Milford needs. Uh, well, how about we do a quick change of scene? Uh, the celebrations we've been seeing, uh, you know, it, it's a great thing sports better doing. A lot of money's been raised. What's your favourite celebration so far, fellas? Oh, that's yeah. that's a very easy one, though. Why? Right, what are you going with? WWE. No, uh, I don't reckon. I don't reckon they pulled it off that. well enough. I reckon. I reckon like. I thought it was exceptional. 
No, I, I, I thought they put. I thought it was like it was pretty cool that they did it, but it tricked I, me. It tricked. I was, I, was, I was looking there at the TV, thinking that um, Hamlin Ueli had just decked his own teammate. <laughs> like I've seen them do some pretty cool WWE reenactments just to training and stuff. I think they could have pulled it off more. Yeah, well, see, mate. The general consensus is is that is that um, um, Braden like had the technique down pat, um, and that Jack Williams' acting was fantastic. That it was really believable. What one of my favourite parts about that dry celebration was Sterlo in the commentary saying he called it WWF. Oh, I noticed that. <laughs> Showing your age a bit there, Sterlo. <laughs> <laughs> but. Oh, no. Mate, I, I, uh, when I heard Sterlo say that, I actually go. I, I actually said to myself, "Is there a competition I haven't heard of?" And I googled WWF, and I thought, "No, nah, that's Sterlo just being old." Yeah, mine, mine has to be Ruben Garrick doing uh, doing his wicket celebration, getting down on one knee, appealing to Tommy Turbo who who shunned him. But you got to point put in the effort, and you know, Ruben carried that try celebration, got the wicket. So I reckon that's the best one I've seen. I tell you what, Tommy Turbo's not great in the try celebrations. This little jiggle in the same game was pretty cringe, and he didn't know what to do when he was put on the spot as an umpire. Uh, <laughs> mine probably wasn't as magnificent, but it just brought such a smile to my face. It happened this weekend when a big Billy kick out crossed the white line and did the carver. Um, to me, it was just the smile on his face. He just seemed so proud, firstly, for scoring the try, but it, it looks like a um, friendly giant. I think, Gatesy, you said off there. And just watching him do that carver, sitting down, it, it just it just was just smiling, grinning from ear to ear. And I get a sense a part of it was getting his uh, culture on TV as well. I just I thought it was a great moment. It was brilliant. It was fantastic. I think he did it twice actually in that game because he scored a double. Yeah. Um, you know, although he crossed the line a few times earlier the season, he's had uh, he's been a little bit lean since, but he crossed twice and I think he actually cracked out the coconut and had a sip twice. It was speaking of being a little bit lean, that's been myself and trivia, but boys, I've been waiting two weeks to change this scoreboard, so let's get to it. All right, fellas, well, it's time to throw away the coconuts and pull out the trivia books. It's that time of week again. Jack, how about you give us a score update for some trivia? Yeah, unfamiliar territory. I'm coming last on 15. Uh, Hot your heels, Gates, he's 16. Jimmy's leading the pack on 17. Still got my lead. You can throw a handkerchief over us. Right, yeah, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask my questions first because I'm, I'm thinking a, a fast, strong finish is what I need. So, boys, I'm going to jump straight into it. That's your tactic every week, and it hasn't been working. Yeah, I know. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think you might have to come up with a new trick, mate. <laughs> I know. Now, look, familiar territory. It'll work. This will be the week. Okay, we have set Olympic themes. So, boys, question number one. Name one of the two Australian beach volleyball players who won the gold medal match in 2000. One of the two. Yeah, I thought that would be quite easy. <laughs> the silence tells you something different. Yeah. Can we just guess their first name? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> we even had the snippet of them winning gold in our intro to season one, fellas. Yeah. I, no, I remember I can see their faces. I can remember the moment, but I can't remember their names. Very famous ladies. Zachary? Um, mate, can I phone so, a friend? No, I tell you what, if you were to phone a friend, ask your fathers, because I think every male was loving it more than the females. <laughs> the, the female beach volleyballers. It was Natalie Cook and Kerry Pothast. Mm. Natalie Cook was the one I thought you guys probably would have jumped on. Just a bit of an easier name. Radio question number two. Uh, we just heard from Nick K a little bit earlier. Where did the Australian men finish in the basketball competition at Rio in 2016? What place? Zach. Six. No. I think it might have been higher than that. 
I'm going to say fourth. The view must look good from the top, Jimmy, because the lead <laughs> extends. It is fourth. It's the fourth time we've finished fourth. And, of course, we've heard from Nick saying that the big goal is to break the medal drought in the basketball. Fourth time we finish fourth, and that puts Jimmy up to 18. You are a beauty. My tactic may not have worked here. <laughs> <laughs> right, You're going to have to be sprinting home like Usain Bolt. But off the back of that, I'll, I'll take a break, give you give you fellas a chance to catch up with my questions. All righty, hands on the buzzer. What country was Eric the Eel from? Zach. Was it Morocco? No, it Yuck. wasn't. Uganda. Wasn't Uganda. I wasn't sure if you boys would get that or if that would be an easy one. But it was Equatorial Guinea. <laughs> Missed one there. Righto, boys. This one a bit bit tougher. <laughs> when did golf debut at the Olympics? Zach. I will say Rome, 1960. No, sorry, mate. 68. No, sorry, mate. Both of you are a fair way off. It was 1900. That is such a shit question. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my question. Which city hosted the 1900 Olympics? Oh, it didn't say that when I looked it up. The city of love, Paris. Right. Okay, I had to look up that question, Jimmy. Alrighty. Now for my trivia questions. Who was the first Aboriginal to win Olympic gold? Jack. Kathy Freeman. Incorrect. Um, Jack was very confident there, wasn't he, Cayman? Yeah, he was. He straight in on the buzzer. Who's Ash Barty's friend? Gulia? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yvonne Gulgog Cawley. Yeah, that one. Uh, she never she never won gold. Yeah. That's my guess. <laughs> Emma Gulia, that might be a weekly snippet, I think, Jack. Um, okay, the answer is Nova Paris. Yeah. I'm not too huge on that, Zachary. In a team sport, in the hockey. Yeah, she she won a gold medal with the Hockey Roos in 96 in Atlanta. Yeah, well, Kathy Freeman's very famous, and one of her famous things is generally they say the first Indigenous um, person to win a gold um, because they refer to the, the single gold medal. Yeah, they usually leave that out when they out her fame but you got me oh, well. <laughs> mark that one down as a trick question <laughs> um okay boys and question two which city hosted the 1980 olympics jack los angeles incorrect um just trying to think of cities just cast, you, cast your memory <laughs> back to 15 years before you yeah. thought, Jimmy. <laughs> well, just, no, where was I in 1980? Well, Carmen, you can go all the way back to 1900. So you were, what, 80 or 90 years old in 1980, were you, mate? Um, I reckon somewhere in Europe. In... You're on the ticker here, mate. Berlin. It was not in Berlin. It was Moscow, capital of Russia. Cool. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, well, that rounds us out from another round of trivia. Just the one point went off that round to Jimmy. <laughs> I wonder whose question that was, which was easy enough to get right. Look, we'll move straight on. We won't be too salty because we have other things to do in this podcast. The three things I'll go first. Cool off a little bit. Um, <laughs> The first week of the Olympics is always swimming dominated. So they're my three things. My short thing is for Australia to claim five gold medals in the pool. My pressure cooker is the Australian swimming team. Uh, two disappointing campaigns at our last two Olympi uh, Olympics, uh, both in London in 2012, which was started with James Magnusson flopping and it just got worse from there. And then unfortunately in Rio, uh, a lot of our gold medal aspirations fell at the final hurdles. And my one to watch is Ariane Titmus. Uh, we've seen a lot of her 
on our Harvey Norman ads. But look, um, her rap sheet coming into this game is just incredible. I actually saw a betting odds market special, her paying just $15. Now, let me remind you that the Bulldogs at stage of this in this rugby league season have been paying more than $15 just to win the bloody game. Titmus is paying $15 to win three gold medals and break a world record. That just shows what type of caliber of swimmer she is coming into these games. So she is my one to watch. Yeah, Titmus is an absolute freak. Um, she will definitely be in the medals, hopefully taking home plenty of gold for us. Um, my sure bet uh, is actually Sally Fitzgibbon, Gatesy's favorite middle distance junior school runner. Uh, her to take the gold in the surfing. Um, she's our lead surfer in the in the surfing category. So I'm banking on her to bring us home a gold. And wouldn't that be great? Uh, pressure cooker. I have Jess Fox, the, the canoeer from our Australian team. She's been very close in the past. She came home with a bronze in Rio and then she claimed a silver in London, but she's never got the gold. And now at her third Olympics, um, she's trying to chase two gold medals in the C1 and K1 events. Um, she recently won the World Cup in the C1. So she's coming in in a fair bit of form, but she'll be desperate for that gold medal, never having won it before. Now at her third Olympics, she'll be feeling the heat and hopefully she can get the gold. And my one to watch, simple as this, the opening ceremony, Patty Mills and Kate Campbell carrying the flag for Australia. It's always a great to watch, see what Japan puts on. I'm sure they've been planning this for a while. Hopefully it's memorable and I'm very excited to watch it. The good ones there, fellas. Uh, my sure bet is Jessica Hull uh, to win gold for Australia in either the 1,500 metres or the 5,000 metres, uh, her two events in Tokyo. In the pressure cooker, I've got Novak Djokovic. We've talked about it already. Um, gunning for the golden slam. So rare, only been done once. Can he do it? Pressure is on. And uh, <clears throat> my one to watch, boys. The men's and women's marathons, they've always been my favourite events at the Olympics, the men's and women's marathons on the final two days of, uh, of the fortnight, of the couple of weeks. Strap in, uh, strap in for a great ride for two hours, two hours and 20 minutes. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Can't wait to see it. How good is it to have an Olympics here? Fingers crossed it goes off without a hitch, COVID-wise, fellas. But uh, thanks for joining us again to all of our listeners. Enjoy the opening ceremony. Enjoy a weekend full of sport. We can't wait to be watching every second of it with you guys. Till next week, keep your eye on all those weird and wonderful balls at Tokyo because you never know when another crowd catch may just come your way. Bye. Adios.